Paul, you should do a Dr. Seuss book for uh, web programming. I would Ooh. like that. For kids. Uh, put the string on the thing. Put the string on the thing. Yeah, that is. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> that is web programming. That's the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Ben, why are you wearing hey. a hat that reminds me of the star Lisa Lisa Cult Jam or Lisa Bonet? <laughs> From the 1990s. <laughs> well, like I said, I moved into this house in Germantown, which is occupied, is owned by a great family friend, and he is quite the hat connoisseur. I sent him a gift package back home to New York of five of his favorites, but he let me hold on to a few. And as a bald man, I, I appreciate a hat any time of day. So you just have a vast set of hats. I've got. Yeah, a, this is your new life. This is my new yeah. look. I, I was thinking more like you know Nashville skyline Bob Dylan, but maybe you're an out. Maybe you're. Uh, no, no, that's better. I, reference I, was equally good. Go with it. You're you're <laughs> hanging out in upstate New York yeah, with a lot of yeah, hats. Exactly. Like you can that actually, if you're gonna do any Bob Dylan stuff, that's the place to do it. Yeah. This is the place to be. The good news is, and Sarah, as our former director of community and now head of public Q&A, we won a Webby for best community website. Amazing. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. We're sharing the award with the Girls Club of Asia, and they are the winner cool. without, they are the judge's choice and we are the people's choice. But I will take it anyway. It seems great. And I'm happy to share with Girls Club of Asia. They seem like a cool site. You're Amazing. still in the mix. You're not just a giant platform. Still in the mix. You're also still a community favorite. We're still a community favorite. And I am. if this happens, I will have really kicked the bucket list. One of the hosts of the Webbies this year is none other than Dr. Anthony Fauci. So if Dr. Anthony Fauci for some reason says, and the winner is Stack Overflow, I will lose my mind. Yeah, that's really good. I kind of hope he's not doing that. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of hope he's like up to other well, things. You, I think he's going to be there to I'll deliver a public health message and maybe one award. You know, he's going to, he's there okay, to, to, to give the yeah, important I mean, intel. The, with. The, yeah. What I'm imagining here is like, he's got that funny voice too, so I won't try to do it. But like, you know, he gets up and he goes, thank you all for the work you've done communicating and helping with contact tracing. These are the five efforts I really hope you'll pay attention to. And right. the most amazing slightly genetically broken cat award this year goes to yeah, exactly. <laughs> greatest viral meme goes to that's right wow i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of good options quest love could give us our award that's monica right. Lewinsky, yeah john hodgman fka twigs yes i mean hodgman you're like okay yeah that guy's gonna show up at the award show monica Lewinsky, yeah. i'm like yeah. man talk about somebody who worked worked hard to get through some stuff that i admire that human yeah, yeah fka twigs is a perfect human being so really what a, yeah. what a wonderful yeah. set of choices and anthony Fauci has been through the single worst experience <laughs> aside from getting covid <laughs> That anyone could imagine. Yeah, I do like when you look at him and you're just like, he, and you can just see in his eyes the word science. It's like, or it's like he's written them on his eyelids, and every time he blinks, it just says science. And he's like, yeah. well, that's an interesting viewpoint. Blink, blink, science, science. I actually feel like the fact that they had to do that Senate panel with him and the and the director of the CDC remotely really worked out in their favor because Fauci set it up. He was like in a big old library with a bunch of books oh, yeah. and like a skeleton and a diploma. And he was like, I am the science dude. All right, look, I know what I'm talking about. And he was clearly very comfortable in his own living room. Like he wasn't in a big Senate chamber with a lot of cameras. He was like in his in his work zone. Yeah. Well, you also just get the sense. That, I mean, look, this ties back to our world. There are some people who are the job. 
you know, who's like their job is to know the 400,000 things and the thousands of people that connect the system together and they love it and they do it. And there is no differentiation between the individual and the thing they do. Doctors are like that. You mean like a really dedicated cardiologist and like he's got hobbies because you can't just be a heart doctor all the time. But Nah, when it comes down to it, what, what's he doing on Sunday? <laughs> he's thinking about cardiology. He's like out there. Right. Do you think he's like home with his family, just cardiology? Well, that's the, yeah. <laughs> just cardiology. Well, Sarah, Sarah, like you would be reading about a new web tool or like doing a little code. He's reading like a new, you know, experimental technique and there's like a briefing on it. And he's that's sun, light Sunday reading. It's like you could try this cardiology technique. It literally is right. his light Sunday reading, right? I met, I met, I mean, I'm yeah. thinking of this because I met a, a really successful cardiologist and i'm like so how many surgeries surgery surgeries do you i'm italian now yeah, how many surgeries do you do uh, um how many surgeries do you do and he's like 15 <laughs> a week but it's slowed down with covid and you're like why you touch 15 mm. hearts that's two hearts a day that's cr- i thought he was gonna i thought that would be like one seriously a month. sarah i don't come in contact directly with my hands with another human heart more than like once every <laughs> six weeks like that guy is <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'd have I have difficulty locating the exact position of my own heart when I try to show it to my kids. So the idea that he yeah. does that. Oh yeah, no. If you're if you're like la- like that's where I would start. Like I'd be there wearing my mask, about to cut, and I would just be like, "Wait a minute, left or right? Yeah. Wait, your left or my left? Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! Boy, and I got I got left. thirteen more of these this week. This is going to be stressful. Yeah. But actually, that's been a crazy thing in this crisis. Is that a lot of medical places are hurting because the elective surgeries are all canceled. That's where they make most mm-hmm. of their margin. And people aren't even yeah. going in for their regular checkups or their kids' regular vaccines because nobody wants to be near a doctor's office. So it's this ironic thing where we needed a surge of medical workers. Certain frontline workers are super busy, but other places are like going under. Do you think that this a cardiologist goes deep on new cardiology tech? Like I went deep on the Dino 1.0 docs yesterday. Yes. Oh yeah. Like looks at looks at the docs for new oh, instruments. Yeah. No, this is like reads the like studies about you know new techniques and their outcomes. Totally. That's how it is. I got stuck. Do you know where I got stuck? Is Rust. I didn't know the relationship between Dino and Rust. Paul, oh yeah, are, yeah, yeah. No, you? that's right. So. Actually, can you explain it? It's like parts of Dino are... So what's Dino for people who didn't happen to hear the last podcast? Yeah, if you didn't listen last week. Yeah, so Dino is a secure runtime for JavaScript and TypeScript. It is a Node.js replacement. So, I mean, and and, and to that end, like... From the same creator of by Node.js, right? It's like his his idea of how to build a better mousetrap. So it runs all your JavaScript and all your TypeScript. And it does it in ways that it says are better... Than Node.js. Yeah, so it also uses Rust APIs. It uses the Rust V8 and Rust bindings Mm. to V8's C++ API, which was really interesting to me. And also, I found myself asking why. I'm sure there's... We should find someone on the Dino team. If you're listening, come explain things When Node.js was created, was Rust even an option or just a less popular option? No, it wasn't really. It was a twinkle in the eye of some guy at Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Graydon Hoare, I think his name is. And then, and then like, the thing with Rust, the, the all the claims about Rust is it's good for systems programming and it has a good, clear model around type safety. So you get a lot of things for free that you have to do manually in C or C++. And if you're into type, 
types and you're into that kind of systems yeah. programming, it's a really nice combination. And so that sounds kind of elegant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming that because I mean, it's a pretty big thing to retool and rebuild that whole platform. But also, the nice thing about Rust is it does have it has really good interop with everything. Like you can turn it into WebAssembly and you can make it talk to C and you know, like hooking that API up. Like there's been the culture. I find this really interesting. Like Closure does this a lot too, where Languages to thrive in this era can't really start as a very cool syntax. They have to both have a new approach to some pretty well-known philosophy, like types and type systems. And that yeah. makes sense. And then they have to hook into a larger ecosystem in order to bootstrap their own library, right? Like they can't, yep. you can't just be like, here's my language because people are like, I need to parse JSON. And you're like, well, yeah, no one cares. JSON's yeah, just yeah, exactly. a stream of tokens. <laughs> this is where Lisp always gets in trouble. Like Lisp is like, you can absolutely hack it yourself. And it's like, yes, you really can, but it requires you to be in a super smart programmer mindset all the time. Yeah. Um, and I feel like programmers like, we talk about 10 times and we talk about the, and sometimes you meet somebody who's really smart and really effective and gets a lot done. But the reality is that smartness is not equally distributed throughout your day or week, right? Mm. Like you tend to have like really smart days. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or like that moment where you're like, I've got nothing else and I'm just going to get deep into this thing. I wrote a three line recursive function last week while I was playing around. And it was like, that's how a smart programmer works. Like I knew yeah. where all the pieces were. And then everything else I did was just trash. But that 10 minutes, I was like, yeah, that's right. I wouldn't be ashamed to show this <laughs> to someone. Did you guys read that great Wired story about Lee Holloway from Cloudflare? Did you read yeah, that? Yeah, no? that's a rough one. No. That was, that was a rough one. But it was it's a fascinating story of a guy who, as Paul was saying, was just a brilliant coder. And there's like a piece in here about how he sort of built so much of Cloudflare. And then, you know, there was like, you know, sort of the apocryphal story. One day they had some big project. He hadn't worked on it. Everyone was like, what's Lee doing? Like we're supposed to launch tomorrow. And he comes in the office and just works for 24 hours, hits done, stands up from his desk, walks away and it works, you know, it just works perfectly. And everyone's like, Lee, oh my God. So Lee could obviously get into that space. He was like, you know, he could get into the flow state for 24 hours. To be clear for the, yeah, for the reader who might be like, oh wow, a cool story about cool programming. He suffers from yeah, a spoiler alert. Yeah, he has a degenerative disorder. He then disorder. started to change. Yeah. yeah. He ended up with a degenerative disorder. And so it's sort of how that all came unraveled. But but you know, what how much of that is your personality, your intellect, your energy level, your health? You know, those all those things need to come together for you to be that 10x coder at some point. One of the most subtle points in that article, and I I, st I like literally wake up screaming thinking about it, is as this person's brain was starting to give way on them and the key relationships in his life, he was distancing himself from them. He broke up with his essentially spouse, like long-term relationship or wife, and started to see somebody new. Everybody just put it down to Cloudflare succeeding and him being rich. And wow. I'm like, the fact that a degenerative brain disorder is not distinguishable from sudden onset wealth is very, very <laughs> wow. telling. Like, like yeah. oh, no. No, that's well, it's so tricky, Paul, because he was still like kind of cogent, like he could be very cogent, but his personality had changed. Yeah. And so they were like, why does your personality suddenly change? Oh, it must be because you're rich and successful. So now you want to act like a jerk. Yeah, no, they, they wrote their own narratives around it. Yeah. Guess that's what happens when you get a lot of money, except that it, it made sense. Yeah. So it was just like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, wow. yeah. Anyway, so anyway, brilliant article. Sorry, spoiler alerts, but you should definitely check it out. The story of Lee Hollow and Wired, brilliantly written and, and very touching and devastating. That's great. Back to the Dino blog post. So 
One thing I also thought was really interesting is promises. So it's a section titled Promises All the Way Down, which is when I read that, I got like a little bit of agita immediately. But the uh, <laughs> that's actually thing come I thought, on. that is an amazing like album title for like Debbie Gibson or like like a good yeah. like 90s pop act like promises all the way down <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that could have been an Alanis Morissette album yep. <laughs> or, or Gloria Estefan we don't have to be picky yeah but I thought it was really interesting so something I think is fascinating is it says Indino's sockets are still async but receiving new data requires users to explicitly call the function read Oh. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. That's a totally different JavaScript. It's like fundamentally changing the way JavaScript was designed for the web. I think that's right. It's very sandboxy. That's the thing about DNL. Yeah. It's very much like you can't get to the file system until you tell it you can. You can't get, yeah. you have to tell it which directories you're allowed to access. I got to say, that part is, as I think that stuff through, that is delightful because. When you can tell, when you can say to the computer, you can only screw up this part of the computer, you buy yourself mm. a lot of time. <laughs> Just a lot yeah, of time. You can't do something weird over there yeah. and not tell me yeah. about it. Go hack that folder, you know, the, the image right. folder, but you can't get, you can't turn my computer into a Bitcoin farm otherwise. <laughs> right. Question, is this something that it seems like is making different things popular, like, for example, TypeScript, like guardrails, like ways for you to let you have the flexibility to create, but also prevents you from screwing up? Is that a thing in modern new software languages or frameworks that typically makes them popular? I mean, especially when more than one engineer is going to be working on something. Yeah, right. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it is new, though. Like, if you think about Java, Java was probably one of the earlier things that did that, where, like, when you're doing C++, you can go crazy and break everything. But Java, you have to be very specific about what you're about to break. Well, I think, mm. like, there was a, a long, long stretch of time where millions of people were coming into programming and web programming. And the very type-centric, lower-level languages focused on optimization didn't matter that much if you were making a quick database call and just putting some stuff onto the web. Like, the database was doing most of the work. PHP is a great example. Like, just get it and put it up, and we figured it out, and hook it up to some shopping cart, and you're in a good place. And that... That didn't require a lot of that type safety and organization. It was just kind of templating plus with some business logic behind. But I mean, a modern web app is could be as complicated as you know any of the big Microsoft apps easily. So all of a sudden, all this stuff where it's like, I want to know that I didn't just add an integer to a string, which JavaScript makes very easy. It just goes ahead and puts the two together and says, here, I think this is what you want. Like You really want that to break. And it sounds ridiculous because like, no one would ever do that. It happens all the time. So it's when you get past hacking it out and you get into like, I want to create things that are reusable and I want to sort of think in terms of frameworks and libraries. This mm. stuff is good, like really, really good. It's a hard way to learn. I would say that. Like I always think about the newcomer, like type systems are not intuitive and, and typing in general because you don't, you just don't have a feel for it. Mm, yeah. But you know what does teach you? I don't know. Sorry, you, you might see this different. I feel that the, the database teaches you typing better than a language does because the language you can kind of put anything in memory and, and you don't really get an instinct. But the database is like, I need to know if this is a number or text. Yeah. Well, I think like if you think about Postgres or SQL, like SQL databases, 
Yes, if you're using something like Mongo. Yeah, Mongo's like it doesn't care. Go ahead, but the, see, the, give me whatever. Because the database <laughs> makes it. You know what's interesting is the database makes the trade-off very explicit. You give me words, I'll let you search through words. You give me numbers, they're really fast to sort. Dates, you can add and subtract date. Like you get a bonus when you specify your data type. It's yeah. You know, oh my God! Don't worry. I'm going to give you so many things you can do with this data if you just tell me what it is. And when you're programming, it's like, <laughs> especially with web programming, so much of it is just go ahead, give me a string, and, and then I'll put the string on the thing. And, and <laughs> yeah. All right. So you guys are both very excited about Dino Deno 1.0. Oh. Uh, we should definitely have one of those folks on. Let's reach out this week. Yeah. If you're listening to the podcast, and you know anybody who knows Dino or Deno, and they're involved. Well, first of all, tell me how to pronounce it so I don't screw this up going forward. I think it's Dino because their little mascot is a little dinosaur. Yeah. It's a good mascot. Maybe it's Dino. Could be Dino. Dino. We'll find out. Look, the thing is. We'll find out. Dino, Dino, Dino. We don't know. The thing is that's really important is that adorable mascots are increasingly part of programming languages. Super important. Yeah, Yeah, super important. Gotta have a strong sticker game. Huge win for Go. Huge win for Go. Go has that yeah. adorable. It's I, I can't remember her name or his name, but there's just an a, Kevin Go. Kevin Go. <laughs> <laughs> but the little Go Gopher, yeah, Kevin. Kevin the Gopher. Right. KG. Oh, I'm yeah, sure KG, it has a I name. I just there's literally just people spluttering <laughs> and outrage. Um, uh, oh no no. And a lot then, of hate mail this week. A lot of hate mail. For a while, Django had a, a pink pony that was really good, or unicorn that was exciting. Right, but the Linux penguin, the GitHub cat hat, yeah, and a little you know cat. Oh, the figure. Octocat. The Octocat. Yeah, the Octocat. Yeah, super important. Very important. Because people want to swag it up. They want to swag it up so they can let other programmers in the coffee shop know they know this stuff. Also, I think yeah. it's just something we learned from Japan. Like if you put an adorable, like, because Japan will be like, oh, our seven-year economic plan, it needs an adorable, you know, figure to go with it, right? And it's, right. you know, it's a little guy in a suit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dude, Mondo it's Mascots, so very good Twitter account. Mondo Mascots. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of what the Greeks did with mythology, except we, we're just trying to get caught up with our, our, our industry. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Stack Overflow for Teams, the best way to organize and share knowledge across your company. It's used by small startups and some of the biggest companies in the world today. It's free on the basic tier until June 30th with no credit card required. Head on over to stackoverflow.com slash teams and check it out. So Ryan Donovan, who runs the blog and the newsletter for us, who works on my team, wrote a nice piece this week called Good Coders Borrow, Great Coders Steal, sort of riffing on that, that old saying attributed to Picasso. And the point was people obviously copy and paste all the time from Stack Overflow or peek under the hood on a web thing. And there can be benefits to that, which is to say, like, why build something from scratch if you can reuse something that works or if you see a function or, you know, a button that's exactly what you want. The danger, obviously, then is that, you know, you might be grabbing something that's insecure or, you know, it works in a way that you don't quite understand. And then he was sort of saying Picasso's, when he, when Picasso says steal, he doesn't mean actually take and don't give credit. He means take it and make it your own, like grab something, figure it out, remix it. And then you've actually learned and you could, you didn't just command C, command V, you would actually know how to write it again from memory because you like spent some time with it. But tell me a little bit about sort of your own personal take on beg, borrow, copy, or steal? I think that's a good question. I think what I've observed is that I think that when you take someone else's code to use it, the thing that actually makes you dig into it and learn it is when it doesn't work or when it breaks. 
right? Like if you can copy paste something that works automatically, if you're not, so there's a lot, there's a lot of parts of this, right? So like, it depends on how much code, like I find myself, I'm not talking about entire applications or, you know, and obviously you have to make sure that the things you're using are secure. I'm talking about two to three lines from somewhere that just has to do with, you know, string transformation or something like that. And in that case, I find that often it works. And if you have like a 50,000 foot view of what you're doing, it's fine. But if it breaks, then you really have to sit down and understand why it's breaking and what's going into it and that kind of thing. I don't know. That's been my experience. What about you, Paul? I think everything that gets you to a working thing is utterly morally justifiable. No one else is going to see it, (laughs) right? Like just cut and paste, borrow libraries, whatever. Especially last minute yeah. when you got to get it working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once this horrible beast hoves into view, you kind of yeah. owe it to yourself to go and read the code. And it's easier to read, like skim. Just skim the code. See what you got. Because if you NPM installed something, there's probably 8 billion things they've already thought of that you haven't right. thought of yet that you can just borrow. Like you're going to end up reinventing if you don't go sort of check... <laughs> <laughs> Are just, you laughing at me yeah, kissing my very, cat's head? <laughs> Sarah, Sarah just went in for like a full kiss snuggle on her old cat. It was awesome. But yeah, no, no. I mean, like like Ryan writes in the piece, you know, NPM takes this to the extreme, right? You can install a tiny single function library, a single line of code. You get it right from the command line. You're just, you know, you're, you're building with these tiny building blocks and you're grabbing them here and there. There is a downside. There was once some coders, you know, that made a bunch of legitimately useful packages, waited until they had a great adoption rate, and you know, updated the code and took people's Bitcoin wallets, right? So you're kind of playing with fire if you don't know what you're doing, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, look, we're all hacking it together. I, I think it's just like, what mindset are you in? Are you creating something stable that's going to last for a while? Then you owe it yourself to know what all the pieces are that go in. NPM mm-hmm. makes that hard. NPM will fan out. If you've ever deleted like RM dash rf a local or rv a local node modules directory it's like 25 minutes while your very fast supercomputer erases the 30 trillion files that (laughs) node has dropped in there so is is that level of granularity necessary i I don't know i mean it works and it works and it's free i frankly at this stage i just i'm like well that's what culture is like that's what people created when given tools to create things. And so yeah. uh, it does seem that the Dino or Deno or Dino um, has a strategy around this, which is sort of directly including URLs from the web and importing them as opposed to going to a, a package manager. And that is going to be really interesting. Like there'll be more tooling and thinking about that. That is a That's a different way to do it. Yeah, okay, also, package, also package managers are like the way that we made this more manageable is to include other people's code, right? Like you're just installing a package half of the time, but even when you're doing that, you have no idea. It's the same as copy and pasting. You have no idea what you're doing, no idea what you're including. And you can only base, you know, how many people use this package, how well reviewed is it, that kind of thing on what you might be introducing to your code. So it's, there's a lot of that stuff. Well, also how many layers of, like, you know, I don't know everything about how my microwave works. I don't know what's happening at the operating system level right now, as I'm talking to you, like, I, I, you know, occasionally my computer gets hot and then I type HTOP and I see that there are 8 million processes, half of which could be Bitcoin mining. And I'd have no idea, right? <laughs> there was a point, I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but I named as a joke, I named my computer on the work network, like Bitcoin miner and then like a hash. 
And then I totally forgot I did that and went back and I was like, oh my God, I've been hacked. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think we just, people like to beat up on engineers for not knowing everything top to bottom. I think it's context. I think you're hacking it together. All is forgivable. You're pushing it to deployment. Well, reasonably, a good code review should talk about what the different pieces are and if you could be using them to get more out of them. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That makes sense. That's not on you. It should be a team. Right. I really liked what Sarah said, which is like often you actually learn it the best. You learn the most if you try it and it breaks and then you got to go in and kind of make it your own a little bit. Right. I mean, that's literally what open source is. Everything about licensing and community and Linux and so on. Like it, open source doesn't matter until the point where something breaks and you fix it. And that's a good thing rather than a bad thing. All right, y'all, let's call it and uh, leave folks with a lifeboat. What do you think? Always happy to hear about lifeboat. Okay. So to H-T-A-M-A-S, Hitamas, awarded May 15th, Gradle Project Refresh failed, unable to get the CMake. All right. Thank you for that knowledge. And I'm going to put it in the show notes so folks can check it out. We will be back at you in a few days. Thanks so much for listening. Check out our Webby Award. Hopefully you'll watch the live stream. Hopefully Dr. Fauci will shout me out personally and form a strong relationship. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking oh, is going to happen. Oh, that sounds so nice. I feel like Congratulations to you both on building a good community. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Ben Popper. Webby worthy. <laughs> go, Ben. Go. Yeah, exactly. I'm Ben Popper. I was a journalist for 13 years and never won a Webby. But now as a digital marketer, my dream is achieved. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. I'm Sarah Chips. I'm Sarah J. Chips at Twitter. And I don't think I've ever been close to the Webbies. I'm Paul Ford, F-Train on Twitter, co-founder of a software development company called Postlight. I think I did get nominated for a podcast once, which is a little, you know, that's cool. That's cool. Nice. Not really. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah, but I, next year, I'm next year I'm submitting this podcast for a Webby, so we'll we'll have a second. Oh chance. hell yeah! I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. And then we're gonna win it next and year. And then Gimlet will. Freaking Gimlet. Here's the here's the trick. See, the reason that we won the People's Choice Award is we we can really throw our weight around. Yeah. We're one of the biggest websites in the world. If it comes to voting, we have a good chance. Ah, <laughs> 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 that's good. We're coming for your See reply all. We're coming for your that's reply right. all. Exactly. All right, my friends. Bye.